most appreciate our, our worship um, song, worship team ministry. They, especially in the songs, they just really prepare my heart for worship, prepare my, wor- my heart to, to hear from God's word as we come to the word now. So just thankful, so thankful to our, our worship ministry team. <clears throat> uh, if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Psalms, book of Psalms. And I want to welcome all again, uh, those of you who are visitors and guests with us today. Uh, so glad to have you with us from uh, uh, God's leading in your life and wherever you, you, uh, you have come from, whether near or far. So glad to have you. As, uh, as our name uh, indicates, San Francisco Bible Church, the Bible is a very important part of uh, the ministry of this church, uh, the Word of God. Uh, it is uh, often at the center of, this, of our worship services because it is in the Bible that we come to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. Anything we know about him, anything we can know about his desire, his will for our lives is found within the scriptures. So uh, that's why we call ourselves San Francisco Bible Church. It's fitting then that we come to Psalm 119 this morning because this psalm is about the word of God. It's about the Bible. It's about particularly the need, our need for the word of God. Psalm 119, we've just, we will be taking a break uh, over, from Isaiah over the next few weeks or so. I'll we'll explain that a little bit later. Um, and so before we... Uh, take a break from Isaiah, and before we kind of go into a, a series of, of different messages, I'd like to just preach a, a, a message from Psalm 119 uh, to prepare our hearts not only for the coming weeks, but to always just reignite in us. It's so easy to, to take the Word of God for granted, we who have the Bible so readily uh, for us. It's, so, it's, it's just too easy for us to, to neglect it, to put it aside, to shelve it, because we just know it's always there. We know it's always there, but and then we, we take it for granted, and we, we somehow we end up neglecting at times. This psalm and this morning's message, I hope, will cause you to remember and recognize how we constantly need the word of life. We need Jesus, but we, need, we find Jesus through his word. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 119, and we're going to be at verses 25 through 32 this morning. 25 through 32. I'd like to <clears throat> read Psalm 119, 25 to 32 for us. This is the fourth stanza of this psalm, the 119th psalm. And we read here, the psalmist writes, My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths in your word. And we thank you this this particular psalm that tells us and reveals us of the glory of your word and how much we as your worshipers, as your people, need your words. For in these words we find the word of life. We find Jesus Christ. So, Father, may uh, you again open our eyes to see the truths, the beautiful truths from this word. Teach us and impress upon us our desperate need, vital need, for your word every day of our lives, that we may live according to it, and that we might know life. 
Father, we pray that you would speak to each one now exactly as, uh, that which they need to hear from your word. Encourage, Lord, uh, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in my younger days, uh, I think probably my college days, we, we would often, during our fellowship groups at retreats, so we would have icebreakers. And maybe you, some of you guys do that too in your college group, or if you, if you don't, you should. Okay, no, it's not should, but it's, it's not a bad idea. It's fun. And um, uh, one of the icebreakers that I remember as a, uh, as a college student, I think it was on a retreat, uh, in fact, they had us get around in the group, and, and icebreakers really are designed to, to encourage interaction, you know, sharing. So one of the icebreakers that we, quote, unquote, played was a, basically a question um, icebreaker. Just ask you, consider this possibility, this situation. Suppose you are going to, you, you're going to be stranded on an uninhabited tropical island, okay? So remember, important, tropical island, so you're not going to freeze to death. Uninhabited tropical island. But you have the opportunity to have five personal items with you. Personal items, right? Not, not a big, giant cruise ship so you can cruise off the island and go home. Five personal items only, five items. Which, which five items would you want to have with you? That's a great question, right? Kind of fun. You kind of think about it. It's kind of just process it right now. What are those five items that you would want on your personal items on that tropical island, knowing that you're going to be, it's uninhabited, and you're going to be the only one there? And uh, what would you need? What would you want to have with you? Um, it can't be a person, of course. It's just personal items. Now, I think most of us, you know, <laughs> and for myself that day, um, <clears throat> I immediately thought, you know, oh, I want a satellite phone so I can just call someone for help and get me off the island. And that's the only thing I need, you know. Uh, I don't remember what else I said, but I, I know I said satellite phone. In fact, I just looked on Amazon. They're pretty cheap these days. I don't know, a couple hundred can get you a satellite phone. It's just the, uh, the service is kind of, you know, but it, hey, it's worth your life, huh? Everybody's, everybody's going to go out and buy satellite phones. They should, you know, give me a commission. Anyways, a satellite phone. Well, that's what I said. You know, of course, everybody gave different answers. And the answer you give will kind of reflect a little bit of your personality. You know, you're going to be on a tropical, uninhabited island. What, what kind of person are you going to be? Are you going to prepare to live there? Are you going to say, get things? Oh, I want to get things, so I'm going to be here to live the long haul. Because, hey, it might be a nice vacation. I'm going to, I might not get saved, so I'm just going to get ready to live here for, long, for the rest of my life. Some of us are going to choose things probably just to basically just get off, because off the island. Like me, I, I just want to get off the island. So I'm thinking satellite phone, you know, flares, flare gun. You know, I'm thinking things like that probably that will just get me saved, get me off the island. Uh, of course, there were a few spiritual people in those days, you know, not me, but there were a few spiritual people who say, well, one of those items would make sure I, it's the Bible, right? And you're like, my, you know, my, you know, as younger Christians, my eyes roll. You know, like, <clears throat> oh, you know, oh, you know, Bible, spiritual. Okay, all right, yeah, okay, good point, good point. Yeah. And that's, uh, that just shows how uh, ungodly I was in those days. But, you know, the, the icebreaker kind of just points to a reality for us as believers in Christ. It points to actual reality. There's a reality for us. No, we're not going to be stranded on a tropical, uninhabited island, you know. We're, but as born-again Christians, adopted into God's family, we are now considered aliens and strangers on earth. The Bible talks us as being aliens and strangers on earth. That the world that we live in is not, is the world that we, in a sense, don't fit in. We're, we're like people who have immigrated from a different country. And we come here, we have different values. We have different purposes, different directions. We have a, a different God, different desires as new creations in Christ. And that makes us like alien strangers. We're really, the Bible calls this 
I would call us this term, really, we're sojourners. We're, in a sense, journeying through this world for the time being. We're, in a sense, stranded here until God calls us home. And believe you me, there is a home that God is, that is set for us, that God is going to take us to be with him. But while we live on this earth, we live as sojourners, people who are just traveling through. What do we need to live in this world? What do we want to live in this world? We're living in a sin-cursed world as we do. That is a world that is, has opposition from the world. But there's also just generally living in a, 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 under the curse of sin means that our life here on earth is not always characterized by joy and peace. Times will come when we are devastated. Times will come when we are brought to tears. And in those times, as sojourners in Christ, as believers in Christ, we know that Jesus is going to be there for us. We who believe in Christ, we know he will never leave or forsake us. We know he's going to be there. But even beyond having Jesus Christ, there is one personal item that Jesus has left for us. A personal item that we can have and hold in our hands, that we can read, that we can look to for help while living as sojourners on earth. And that is the Bible. This book or that software on your, you know, your iPhone, okay? This personal item is given to us. It is as if God has gives us a one, an all-in-one survival manual and kit. God's given it to us for us to live as sojourners on this world. And today's passage from Psalm 119 encourages us as sojourners of Christ of our vital need for the word of God. We need God's word. I just really like that last song. It just struck me when I saw the word need. Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need, I need you. I need to, to need to hear you. I need to see you. I want to know you. You know, that need is a very strong word. How many times do we say, I need something? You know, there are a few things that we need in this life. Food, drink, clothing, needs. Do we think that? So do we feel the same way about Jesus? And when we talk about needing Jesus, we learn Jesus only from his book, the Word of God. Do I think about this book as something that I need as I live this world? Is it one of the five things that I would always want with me as I sojourn in this world? Or is it many other, or is it something that's forgotten? This whole psalm, Psalm 119, reminds us of the precious value of the Word of God. That's the Word of God is its theme. It's the longest of all the psalms, in fact. This psalm extols the, the preciousness of God's word in 22 stanzas of eight verses each. And every verse of each stanza is, begins with the same letter. It's an acrostic moving through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so that this fourth stanza that we look at today, every letter begins with the fourth letter, Daleth, Hebrew Daleth, which is equivalent to our English letter D. In the third stanza that we looked at earlier, the psalmist lamented that he is a stranger in the earth. He's a sojourner on the earth. He, he doesn't belong here, he realizes. And because he doesn't belong here, he doesn't belong on the earth, he's a part, he belongs with God, There's, he faces opposition from the world. As we arrive at our fourth stanza, not only is there opposition from the world, not only do we face difficulties from the world, but we also face difficulties from our own sinful nature, our own sinful flesh, our own, when we choose to live our lives our own ways. 
And these can cause trouble. These can lead to, to, <clears throat> to humiliation and to tears that cause us to cry out to God for help. This fourth stanza reads very much like a, a wisdom psalm. The 119th psalm has different classifications. And in, but in this particular stanza, it has a very wisdom psalm kind of feel, like a prov- very proverbial in a sense. And it's because of the Hebrew word that's translated way, way. This Hebrew word way is uh, Hebrew, it's the word Derek. So if your name is Derek, that's what your name means. It means the way. It's a good name. The Hebrew word for, for way figuratively describes one manner or course of life. It's how we're living. Which way are you going? Which way are you living? Which way are you walking by? The most common way, you will walk according to a certain way. And in this, in this particular stanza, there's a clear contrast between the way of man, that is our own way, my way, and the way of God, the way of God's word that's revealed in his word, his way. There's a clear contrast. In fact, the word way is mentioned five different times in this, in this passage. There's a clear contrast. As sojourners of Christ, then, we are to walk according to the way of the word, of God's word. And then as we look at our passage today, we'll see how much we actually need to do this. Then we see three truths in this psalm regarding the way of the word that every soldier needs. I put to grasp. I want to change that. That every sojourner needs to live, to live. We need to live in this world. So let's take a look then at these three things, these three truths regarding the way of the word, the way of God, that it was revealed in his word, that every sojourner needs to grasp so that we might live. First of all, every sojourner must know that the word of God, the word revives those who are down. You know, there are going to be times in this world when we live and we are brought down, brought low. We need the word of God for it will revive us. Now, as we look at this first point, verse 25 to 27, and the second point in verses 28 to 30, they both have a very parallel structure. And it's kind of just neat. You can observe it. Uh, it's very clear in the Hebrew, not some, somewhat hidden in the English, though, that the first, it begins with a statement about the psalmist's condition, that he's, in this verse 25, you can see that he's brought low. He's, he cleaves to the dust. He, and so this condition that he finds himself in causes him, compels him to pray to God. That prayer then continues on into the next two verses. In this case, verse 26 to 7, in those next two verses, there was a very clear contrast between the way of God and the way of man, the way of the world and the way of the word. And we'll see that. I'm going to see it flesh out, which is why the psalmist prays that God would help him to be a man to follow and walk according to the way of the word. So that's kind of just how uh, this, these first two points were outlined. So we'll see again, then verse, we see then in verse 25, the sojourner's condition. What is the condition of the psalmist here in verse 25? Why, is, why does he express his need for the word? He says, my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. The ESV reads, my soul clings to the dust. The NIV, I like the NIV because it's, it's all this term, I am laid low in the dust. I like that terminology, laid low. I like to use it. Oh, man, how you doing? I'm laid low this week. You know, that's just really good. It's kind of, just kind of sounds neat. Anyways, but the fact is this idea of clinging to the dust, clinging to the earth, being laid low is just as a, a word that describes a humiliation. We've been humiliated. We've been really, um, when people, when the, in the Old Testament, when people would be brought, would kind of have to um, 
be repent or would they express a lot of sorrow? Would they, bring, they, would, they would not only tear their clothes, but what would they do? They would cast dust over themselves, kind of just to reflect the humiliation, the, the sorrow, the great depths in which they've been brought low to. Circumstance, the, the psalmist for, in some way has been humiliated. He's been brought, experienced great humiliation. Circumstances have brought him to his knees. And there are times in life as we walk on this earth when trials or troubles hit us so hard that you, we literally are brought to our knees, aren't we not? I just remember the last time that happened when I just picked up the phone and I heard uh, uh, the call that my father passed away. He brought me to my knees. There are times like that in our life where just God just new circumstances brings us to our knees. And we have those times we feel so helpless. There's nothing we can do to change our circumstances. We feel trapped. We feel desperate. And that desperation, that helpless feeling, that bringing us low ought to drive the sojourner in Christ, the believers in Christ, to God's word. It ought to bring, turn us our attention to, to cry out to God, oh, God, help me. Because that's what the psalmist does. My soul cleaves to the dust, and then he turns in prayer. Revive me according to your word. He prays to God to revive him. The idea is to, to give him life again, to restore his life. He feels like he's about to die. Put him back on his feet, he prays. Notice the addition, revive me according to your word. That is, that the psalmist knows that his prayer is going to be answered because he's praying something that is according to God's word. He's not just saying, oh God, just get me off the island. Oh, Lord, give me a million dollars. Oh, that will solve all my problems. No, those aren't promised by God. He knows that what God promises is that God will promise to revive him, to comfort him, to give him renewed, renewed <coughs> strength and, 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 <coughs> and hope. Excuse me. God, he knows that God promised to uplift those who are down, those who, have been, those who are brought low, those who have been humbled. We know that the scriptures teach us in various places that God is opposed to the proud, but what does he do to the humble? He gives you grace. He gives you grace. Isaiah 61 verse 2 talks about how God promises through his, his messianic servant, the suffering servant, to comfort all who mourn. God's word gives confidence to our prayers. If and when you are brought down in life, you're brought low, you're brought to the place where you are, as, a, as the psalmist would describe himself, clinging and cleaving to the dust, our response is to turn to God in prayer. <clears throat> we can pray to God to revive us, to give us new life, to restore us, because he's promised to do so in his word. And so the, pro the prayer of, of the psalmist continues in verse 26 to 7, as he thinks about his condition, he calls to the Lord in prayer, he reflects upon, in a sense, the two ways of life. We see the sojourner's contrast. He contrasts his ways with God's way. Verse 26, I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. In the original Hebrew, the first word in verse 26 and the first word in 27 is the same identical word. It's the word way. So really, it's if, you, if I was going to translate it in English, I'd make it the my or the way, 
the ways of my own I have told you. And then the ways of your precepts make me understand. Because the emphasis here is on the way. There's a clear contrast, intentional contrast between these two ways. My way versus your ways, God. And what does the psalmist say about his ways? He says, my ways I have told you. He's told God of all his, of his ways. The, that, the implication that he is basically confessing to God of how he's lived his life. You know, when we are brought low, when you go through trials and troubles, right, when something terrible happens to you, there is a very natural response in us to wonder, Lord, to, exam- to examine our lives, say, is there something that I've done that has brought your, your discipline upon me, Lord? And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is because of a sin in our life that there is great trouble in our lives. You know, obviously, you know, if I've been stealing, and I, oh, Lord, what have I done to be in prison now? Well, you were stealing, okay? Uh, that would kind of be the, you know, obvious answer. Why is my marriage falling apart? Well, oh, I guess I shouldn't have committed adultery. You know, things like that. The fact is, there are th- reasons that sometimes leads to difficult situations in our life. The psalmist tells God of his ways. And there are times when we go our own ways, even as Christians are there not. I love the, uh, even our Elder Jimmy's prayer this morning. He just kind of reminded us of how every day we really choose, I'm going to go my way or I'm going to follow God's ways today. When we make that decision, even on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour decision sometimes in our days, much, <clears throat> much if not all of the trouble we face in life are the result of our own sinful ways. When we choose to go our own ways, I've already talked about adultery and how that will affect your marriage and your family. It will. We talk about cheating at school. That will affect your, whether you pass or fail, can affect whether you pass or fail your class. When we are brought low because of our sin, one of the first things that we should do, as, as like the psalmist, is we should tell God, examine our ways, and tell him, express to him, like, Lord, I've been living my own ways. And maybe we, and most likely we have. To confess our sins, to acknowledge how going our own ways has sinned against God. And the Lord, of course, answers. Just as he answered, you have answered me, says the psalmist. God always answers. How does he answer when we confess our sins as believers in Christ? If you confess your sins, he is what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God will forgive us our sins. That's how he answers every time when we confess our sins to him as believers in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when you kind of confess your sin to him, remembering that he forgives us, it drives us, gives, it increases us a greater desire to know God's word. Because we know we've been following our own way. And that's what the psalmist says. He says, teach me your statutes. I've been going my way. I've, I've forgotten your way, Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your word that I won't go back to my ways. Because I've fallen my ways. And that's why I'm in the situation I'm in. Because God's ways are better. Verse 27, and continues to pray, make me understand the way of your precepts. He prays that God, help me understand the way of your law, your word, your commandments, so that I will meditate on your wonders. The way of God's word must be understood. It needs to be understood. And the psalmist prays then to understand the way of the word so that he can then meditate on it. He can meditate, because when we understand God's word, then we meditate on the things that we find within. And particularly, he says, I will meditate on your wonders. There's many things that we can meditate on God's word. But some of the things that stand out, that particularly help us in life, are the the wonderful things within. 
Those things that are just amazing, that remind us of how great our God is. Think about the wonders that are found just in, in the scriptures. When I think about from the very beginning of Genesis, we think about how God created everything by just merely speaking it into existence. The power of his word is conveyed in those first, uh, first two chapters. We think about some of the wonders of how he delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. We think of the wonders of how he protected Daniel in the lion's den. We think of the wonder of how God, he preserved Jonah, even as he was cast into the Mediterranean Sea, doomed to, be, to drown, but preserved by, of all things, a big fish comes along. These, are, these and many more are the wonders. I just think about the, the wonders of, the, of Elijah's triumph over the prophets of Baal that we talked about in our Sunday school class today, even. These things and more, these wonders, when we, when we know God's word, we, we think about the wonders and we remember the kind of God that we have. And it encourages, it revives us when we're down. Even when we are brought low, we remember who our God is. We understand his ways. And we can go back, we can follow his ways. Because a lot of times we don't follow God's ways because we forgot who God is. We really, a low view of God leads to a low view of his word. And we don't really take it for granted. If you actually feared God, we would follow his word a lot more. Sometimes we don't take, fear God. We, we take him for granted. But God's way revealed in his word, oftentimes through a timely psalm, a relevant proverb, a compelling narrative are the keys to reviving us. When you're brought low, just go to God's word. How many times have you gone to God's word? You go through a difficult trial and you go to God's word. Flip, I tend to flip to the Psalms when I need a word from God to encourage me, to comfort me. And I usually find it because I'm relating, just relating with the psalmist's experiences. How God is there with us. How he's my tower of refuge, my strength. You know, on our own, way, we mess things up. We keep following our own ways in life, we will mess things up. Even if we, are, even as believers in Christ, as we mess things up because God loves us enough to discipline us and he will allow for a different, to us to experience the consequences of our sin so that it might bring us back. It might cause us to prayerfully turn back to God in his word. And when we do, we remember who God, we remember his word, we go out, well, there we'll find the way his way is the road to revival. His way is the road to a renewed life in him. Second, not only do we see this, the preciousness of the word of God for the sojourner, that it revives those, those of us who are brought low, but the word also, secondly, as we, a second truth we learn, is that the word strengthens those who grieve. We who live as sojourners on earth, we need the word of God because it strengthens us when we are brought to tears. In a very similar manner as the first point, this psalmist turns to God's word for strength. And we see again the same outline, the sojourner's condition in verse 28. Again, a description about his soul. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Literally, he says, my soul drips from grief. He's dripping. He's brought to tears by the circumstances of his life. Again, life in this fallen world has moments when we are grieved to tears. We can all think of Tragic life events. Loss of a, a child. Loss of a loved one. A major illness. A broken marriage. A wayward child. 
These are just some of the things that bring us to tears. But there are so many other things that I would, that I know, grieve you and me. We can come here each Sunday even, put our best face forward, but we still carry the constant burden of the things that weighs down our souls throughout the week. Private struggles, worries, just plain sin even. What makes your soul grieve? What brings you to tears? Do you allow those tears to drive you to the truth of God's word? That's what it ought to do. And that's what the psalmist recognizes and does. It's like uh, verse, just as in verse 25, his condition is, is met with a prayer. He cries out, strengthen me, O Lord. Strengthen me. And once again, we see that phrase, according to your word. The psalmist knows when he is weak. And that's what, when you weep, that's really when you're weakest. You know, well, I mean, at least I know as a boy, I mean, boys are told, well, don't cry, man. Tough it up, man. You know, when sissies cry, you know, that's, okay. I mean, your parents didn't tell you that. Okay, my parents didn't either. But, you know, that's what the fellow boys would tell me. No, man, you're crying. And so you kind of hold it in. A lot of us try to hold in our tears. We say, oh, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to let people see me cry. I'm going to let them know how much I hurt because I'm tough. I'm strong. Tears show weakness. But there comes a point where you can't hold it in anymore, can you? It's been gone on too long. It hurts so much. And that's when we break down in tears. Our strength is gone. And that's when we turn to the Lord. So we're reminded that these tears are, are from God. Don't be afraid to cry, brothers and sisters. Now, some of us are more emotional than others. I, I get that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, yeah, I know how that feels. But tears are God's, God's, how God's made us. To reflect our sorrows. And when God gives us sorrows, so that we might turn to him. That's why God gives us these emotions. It shows us that, in our, he reminds us that we're weak, that he is strong. And so the psalmist prays for strength from God according to his word. He knows, just as he prayed earlier too, that this too is a promise that God gives. Psalm ten seventeen says, O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. When God hears your prayer for strengthening, when you're weak and you cry out for strength, God hears. He's not like, oh, I don't, I don't have time for you. He hears the prayer of the humble. He hears the prayer of the weak. He inclines his ear to you. You know, sometimes someone wants, you can tell when, they, when someone wants to hear you because they're like, oh, what did you say? They want to hear. That's what God does. He inclines his ear. He wants to, he's strengthened. He's this promise. God promises people strength in the midst of sorrow. We can confidently pray this to him because it's according to his word. The psalmist prays, uh, continues his prayer in verses 28, 9 through 30. And we see the sojourners, he contrasts again the way, the, the, the way of man and the way of God. Here he calls it the false way versus the faithful way. That he's realized that his soul is brought to tears and grief because he's walked along the false way. He's, his own, he has fallen into to sin, his own selfish desires, and it has somehow brought him to the place of grief. And he prays, verse 29, remove the false way from me. Again, um, the word, first word here is the word way, the way of falseness, the way of de deceit, the way of lying, remove from me. 
and graciously grant me your law. God's word is like a mirror. And it's a mirror that shows us our lives, shows us when we're not living according to God's word, when we're not in alignment. You know, I look at the mirror, I say, oh, boy, you know, my, my face is not in alignment, you know. But this God's word is like that. It's like, oh, it shows you in the areas where, man, that's where we're not aligned with God's word. It shows when we're following a different way. We're not following God's way. When we follow a false way, that's what the psalmist Remove the false way from me. And this false way is translated as the way of deception, the way of deceit, the lying ways are oftentimes also the source of our troubles. When we go, fall into the false way, and I think that's the best translation here, actually, the false way, um, it can lead to, to grief, to troubles in our life. And essentially the false way is when we do not live according to the way of truth. When we don't live according to God's truth, that's a false way. So any sin that we commit, anything that's contrary to God's word is a false way. When we complain or gossip, that's a false way. When we are sexually immoral, that's a false way. When we're not faithful to our spouses, that's a false way. When we don't lead our families in Christ, that is a false way. And such false ways lead to greater troubles. It leads to greater troubles. Recognizing this, the psalmist prays then that God would remove the false way from his life. And along with removal of the false way, he prays that God would graciously grant him the true way, the way of truth. God's law, he says, he calls it. And what's more, he adds the word graciously. He knows that word graciously. He recognizes that apart from God's grace, he, we would never choose to follow God's word. It's only because of God's grace that he will even look to God's word and that God's word will guide him to do those things that are true and right and not false. So the psalmist, that's why the psalmist prays, strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me, he prays. Grant me your law. Grant it to me. Graciously grant it to me. Verse 30, he continues and expresses his desires to, to walk the, the way of truth, the way the faithful way. Verse 30, I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. That is, he clearly states that I have, he has deliberately chosen the faithful way, the way of God's word. He's chosen to, to turn away from the, the way of the world in a deliberate, conscious choice to choose God's way. As the song, sometimes when we think of that song, I've decided to follow Jesus. He has decided to follow Jesus, you know, to follow God's way. He's decided to follow God's ordinances like a roadmap before him. He's been trying to go through a, a, this, a jungle, if you will, and he's been following his way, his own map. And he's gotten lost, he's gotten hurt, he's brought him to tears. But he said, oh, I'm just going to give up. I need to look to God's roadmap, God's word, and it will guide him. So instead of complaining, instead of uh, the false way of complaining, he chooses the faithful way to praise God. Instead of living in sexual immorality, he, he chooses to live in sexual purity. Instead of being unfaithful, he, we choose to love our spouses. Instead of being absent leaders, we choose to be active leaders of our homes. And those are just kind of concrete examples of how we can, turn away, we can pr- turn away from false ways and choose the faithful way. And this should be what we do throughout our lives. When we are brought low, when we're brought to tears, we examine our lives, we find out it's because of sin. Maybe there's a sin in our lives. Then the response should be that, oh, Lord, help me to turn away from my false way, and, and I want to choose to follow your faithful way. 
we do this in, just in our lives in general, just as a, in our daily lives. And it's, it's illustrated just in our daily lives, for instance. Those of you who are homeowners, if you have a small leak in your roof, you don't say, oh, it's just a small leak. Oh, you know, I ain't going to do nothing about it. You don't ignore that. You got to fix it because the next rain, it's going to get bigger. And then, you know, there's going to be a flood in your house. You know, when you get a cut in your hand, you say, well, it's just a cut. Yeah, I'll ignore it. No, you, we put a Band-Aid on it, right, so that it won't get infected and get worse. Because if you leave it, it could get infected and get much worse. At least that's what the wise people do. We fix those small leaks. We, we, we cover up the small cuts because we know that they are potentials for greater harm to our lives. Much greater than a leaking roof, much greater than a cut in your hand is sin in our lives. Sin that goes unconfessed. Sin that goes Un- unresolved in our lives. That sin, if allowed to, in a sense, fester, will, will open up more sins, greater troubles, greater difficulties, which will make our lives much worse. You see, the false way will destroy your lives if you do not do anything about it. It will destroy your lives and bring your grief to your soul. I just think of the greatest illustration that just came to my mind. Think about King David. His sin with Bathsheba, you know, he's committed adultery. And then instead of repenting, he covered, wanted to cover it all up and end up murdering. And not only did that, you know, eventually, even, even when he confessed his sins, because of his sins, it brought a series of tragedies to all his children and his descendants. When we choose our false way, it will lead to a destruction of our souls, a destruction of the lives we live on this earth. It will make life on earth even more difficult than it already is. So let us choose God's way. Let's look to God's word. Let's strive to live by the, the faithful way, the way of his word. Let's find, and we will find strength from there, especially when we've fallen our own, fallen the false ways. We, need to, we then arrive at the third and final truth regarding the way of the word that every sojourner needs to live. And that is found in verse 31 to 32, that the word calls for prayerful commitment. The word of God calls us to a <coughs> prayerful commitment to his word. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> verse 31 and 32, we read these words <coughs> of the psalmist. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. So after the, just as a continuation of the prayer, he's expressed his need for God. He realizes his low condition. He's bringing back to bring to tears. He knows he needs to pray to God according to his word. He knows the contrast between his way and God's ways. And so he renews his commitment in these, three, in these two verses to follow God's way. And he does so in much, in a prayerful manner. In verse 31, he expresses his commitment to cling and cleave to God's testimonies, to God's word. I kind of like this word, cling, cleave. It kind of reminds me sometimes of of pictures and illustrations of sometimes something that we actually, we sort of, we know better, but we actually kind of believe it, right? Is when we cling to the Bible, and I think it's because of, okay, I'm going to blame media, okay, but you really can't blame media. It's just our own false thinking. You know how, like, you think cling or cleave to the book, you know? You see those movies, like, the, the, some, uh, uh, 
I was like, I've heard about these movies, okay? Okay, you know some movies where <clears throat> some preacher, priest, and, and like he's casting out some demon, and he, what does he have? Well, you sometimes the cross, but sometimes it's the Bible, right? It's like, as if somehow him holding the Bible is going to give him power to cast out the demon or to fight the demon and evil hordes, you know? You know, this book is not going to do that for you, okay? It's as if somehow holding this book, clinging to it, clasping it, holding it close to my heart is going to somehow make the words or the power within just kind of seep into my, into my being through osmosis, you know? Don't believe in the word of God by osmosis, okay? It, it's not true. It's, it's not some artifact. It, it's not some holy relic. It's just a book. It's just a physical book. But it's the words of God in here. It's the words of God in here that where the power comes from. It's the word, and it really, it works not through osmosis. It works through metamorphosis. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. When the, uh, Paul writes, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's our Greek word for metamorphosis. By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we renew our mind? Because that's what leads to transformation. Renew, we renew our minds through a commitment to God's word. A commitment, a wholehearted commitment to God's word that involves reading the word, studying the word, memorizing the word, hearing the word, meditating, intaking God's word. And that, when we intake God's word, understand it and apply it, that renews our mind. It changes our mind. It fills our mind with the thoughts and truths of God. And that renewing of the mind, according to Paul, produces transformation. It produces a change in our lives, a transformation of our lives. And, and when we get, come back to the psalm, this a transformation, clinging to your testimonies, a transformed life is going to be a life that one is not ashamed of before God and man. You know, how, when do we experience shame? Shame comes when basically our lives don't, don't match up to God. When our lives don't change, when we sing of God in here, and then we sin against God out there through the week, that's a life to be ashamed of. That's a hypocritical life. Such life, when we, when we proclaim, say, how we, we talk about holiness from our lips, but then we live unholy lives during the week. Such life is a life that is to be ashamed of before God. And even as the psalmist clings to God's word, he recognizes this very, very, uh, real, this very reality in his life. He recognizes his weakness. And that's why he says, I cling to your testimonies. I hold on to your truths, but, O oh Lord, do not put me to shame. He realizes that, basically, this is a prayer. This, this verse stands out because nowhere else in these, this stanza do we see the name of God specifically mentioned. He says, so he, it stands out, O oh Lord, don't put me to shame. Don't allow me to live my life in such a way that I would continue to be ashamed. Even as we sung in that great hymn, that, the, uh, Come Thou Fount, and even alluded to by our last, uh, to our last song, that all of us have hearts that are prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's, that's us. It's our flesh. There are often times we are prone to tempted to live our lives for ourselves, to live our own ways, to live according to God's word. Not to not live according to God's word, but to live according to our word. And so he prays to God, 
asking God to not put him to shame, to help him to live, to cling to God's testimonies. So the sojourner clings to God's word. Similarly, in verse 32, he expresses how he will run the way of God's commandments. He's not only going to cling to it presently, but he says, I will, I shall run the way of your commands. He will run God's way as well. Now, in the Bible, the most common way when we talk about when we talk about a way, we use the term walk, to walk in a certain way, to walk in the way of God, to walk in the way of the world. That's the most common idea. But this is the only place in all of the Bible where instead of the word walk is verb walk, the verb run is used. The psalmist doesn't just walk in God's ways. He runs according to God's ways. This is kind of just interesting. And what, what does running convey? Well, running simply conveys a sense of eagerness. That he's eager to do it. You want to run to it. You don't want to just kind of walk. You want to run to that. Are we eager for God's word? Will we, do we want to run the way of God's commandments? Now, it's important to observe that this commitment and eagerness for God's word does not come from our own doing. It, you can't just make yourself eager. You can't just like, I'm going to buckle down. It's like, oh, okay, be eager. Be eager to run God's word, to follow God's ways. I know we've all tried that, especially as young Christians. Like, I'm just gonna, if I just try harder, I'm going to be able to, to obey God this time perfectly, without ever, never sinning again. <laughs> That's what we think. But it's not about more effort. It's not about greater strength, that we, the, the greater strength, greater commitment on our part. We are committed and eager for God's word only because and through God. At the end of verse 32, it says, because I will run the way of your commandments, because for you will enlarge my heart. ESV has a, a, a good, a, also another translation, when you, enlo- you will enlarge my heart. When you will enlarge my heart. That we come to realize that it's, and enlarging our hearts is basically, our heart is, a, is a basically the place where we control, that controls our life. It controls what we will, what we will to do, what we desire to do. That's what the heart is. It's not just emotions. But it expresses will, desire. We kind of call it the mission control center of our life is how it's often described. But God's going to enlarge it. God is the only one who can enlarge our hearts, our desire, our will for the word of God. And when God does that, and because God will do, is the one who does that, that will make us want to then run according to God's ways. That's what, that's what God does. And therefore, even in this, in this prayer, as we pray, he expresses a commitment to God. It's a prayerful commitment because he knows that he cannot commit to God's word apart from God's help. God has to help him. God is the one who doesn't, is going to protect him from being put to shame. God's going to one who has to, is going to enlarge his heart so that he will cling, and so that he will run the way of God. A prayerful dependence on the commitment. And whenever we come to God's word, we must be prayerful as we teach and especially as we listen. And this is where I kind of just kind of <clears throat> want to take a few moments just to encourage, to speak to you, kind of give you an update on what's going to happen over the next uh, uh, six weeks or so uh, from this pulpit. For the next six weeks at least, uh, there's going to be a different uh, person preaching here from the pulpit, God's word. And uh, the next two weeks we're going to have, because next two weeks we're going to have the great privilege of having missionaries come. Uh, next week is going to be the heirs. Uh, Jim, Jim Ayers is going to come. He's going to preach. He's our missionary to Malawi. He's going to come speak from the pulpit. 
The week after that, it's going to be our another mission, Mission in Japan, John and, and Becky Knox. John Knox is going to be here. He'll be speaking from the Word. Following that, um, after, and so I'll be here those two weeks, but following that, around that time is when us, you know, we are expecting our twins. So our twins will probably be born around then, and I've asked the elders for permission to take a, a month off, four weeks off, so that I can uh, um, just kick back and relax. <laughs> uh, pray for us. Anyways. <laughs> So in those next four weeks, we're going to have different, other different men come through. I've asked our elder Dale to preach. I, our, uh, we haven't really introduced him, but our intern pastor, uh, Roger John, he just started in June. He's going to be preaching one week. Our brother Justin Lau is going to be preaching also uh, another week. And then uh, it's kind of near the end, we're going to have back again an itinerant pastor preacher, Pastor Alvin Louie is going to be back again to preach the word for us. And so over the next six weeks, you are all going to have six different preachers. Yeah, six different preachers, and, and that should bring you joy, I hope. You know, I think that should bring you joy, okay? Re-encouragement. But I want to ask you to please prayerfully listen to God's word when they preach. Will you do that? They will come here. They will proclaim God's word. Will you prayerfully listen to God's word? Express your wholehearted, be a, a, a brother, be a believer in Christ who clings to God's word in such a way, who has a, such a, a desire to run according to God's way, that no matter who is standing in this pulpit, as they open the word to you, will you prayerfully listen to God's word? Because, you know, I know what's going to happen. Six different people are going to preach. And you're going to say, man, tell Pastor Henry just to stay away. We like these six guys. Uh, no. <laughs> well, or you could be like this. These six people are so different, and they're so unused. They're so different from the preaching that you've been used to from this pulpit over, this, over the years. And it's, sometimes it's hard to listen to somebody that's different. Sometimes it is. And we can sometimes listen to them and say, well, that guy's a little different, you know. Uh, one's really eloquent. Other one stumbles over their words. That's, one's real dynamic. The other one's kind of less so. Uh, some are going to use more illustrations, and others will give more explanation, exegesis. Some will be looser in following the text, and others will, will take you word by word. But if you love God and are wholly committed to, wholeheartedly committed to his word, then whether they deliver the message of God's word in the manner that you are accustomed to, as we do here each week, I pray that you would far understand that the far greater, far more important, far more glorifying issue is whether you yourself hear the truth of God's word that is proclaimed. Hear the word. Don't listen like a seminary professor preaching. Okay. Listen as thirsty men and women who need God's word to live. Don't complain about how it's served. Just know you're receiving life-giving water. If you'll hear the truth and walk according to it, it will strengthen and revive you. I know the temptation is for us. And, this is his, and, his, and if I offend you, I um, hope you understand it says a pastor that loves you. In our pride, we won't do that. We'll compare and contrast these next six preachers with our favorite preacher, 
whoever he may be. They're not the same. He's not the same. Oh, I wish that guy was here. I wish you could hear this one. Now, that's oftentimes it leads to a pride. It can result in, especially when it comes with pride, it causes us to not hear. We miss messages of truth, messages from God's word that are, just, that are for us to receive. God's word calls us to a wholehearted commitment to it. Let us hear the word as people who are clean to it, desperately in need of the life-giving waters, recognizing that we're sojourners here and that we're, we need to survive, and their survival is, or, or what we need to survive is found right here. So when they come and preach to us, even if they don't do it very well, they kind of spill a little bit here and there, but it's still water. It's still life-giving water. Let's hear it for that. Let's receive it as that, that we might live by it. That's my encouragement to us as a church. So, as we conclude then, as sojourners on this world, we are just like our illustration that we began with. We're stranded here until God calls us. It's a world that we find, we find troubles and tri- tribulations through the opposition of the world. But we find trials and tribulations through our own sin nature, our sinful flesh, when we choose to go our own ways instead of God's ways. And there are going to be times when because of the very circumstances of life that we are brought low, that we are brought to tears. And in those circumstances, situations, I pray that we would always remember to turn to God, to turn to his word. For in him we find deliverance. You know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we already have Jesus. We, if you have recognized your sin and you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, you have the hope that someone's coming for you. You know, Christ is coming again for us. He's going to prepare a place for us, and he's going to come again and take us to be with him. So we know someone's going to come for us. But in the time being, we need to live on this earth, fulfilling his purposes for us. And the best way, the only way through which we can fulfill his purposes are through the instructions that are given to us in his word. This is our all-in-one survival manual and kit. May we long for it, desire for it, thirst for it, so that we may find all that we need to live as sojourners in Christ. And if you're particularly at this time going through trials, going through sorrow, going through weakness, may you turn to God's word. May you find the promises within Sufficient to, to strengthen you, to revive you. Maybe you examine your life to see if you've been walking along your ways. And perhaps by God's grace, you may return to walking according to his ways. Let us be people who always cling to God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. And may you cause us to be people who always recognize that we desperately need your word for strength, for life. For in it, it reveals to us our Savior and Deliverer, Jesus Christ. Father, as Christians, as your followers, we still go through times when we face difficulties and trials. Sometimes because of the world, sometimes because of our sin, our own flesh, 
sometimes because of Satan himself. But Lord, whatever, whenever we find ourselves brought low and brought to tears, may you cause us to turn to you, to cry out to you and ask for your strength, ask for your, to you to revive according to your word, according to your promises. May we, be, may we be people who walk according to your ways and find the hope and joy and strength and the tools that we need to survive, to thrive, and to please you until you return for us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Please exit out. Uh, oh, please hang out for fellowship and uh, exit out the back door when you're ready. <laughs> <laughs>